Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Alrighty then. I grew up in Portage County. I got drunk in Portage County. I got married in Portage County. I got divorced in Portage County. I got married again in Portage County. I got divorced again in Portage County. And between that second marriage and that second divorce, I got sober. I drank for six years. In the course, the first, the course of that six years, my first drunk was on my birthday. I turned 18. And, um, I got drunk and I passed out and I blacked out and I came to throwing up in a snowdrift outside Filthy McNasty's in Kent. I felt at that moment that I had arrived. Actually, when I walked into that bar, I thought I had arrived. I got some of that draft of beer in and I thought, oh, now I'm tall enough and thin enough and pretty enough and witty enough and charming enough and can carry on lots of conversations. This is good. So after I came out of my snowdrift, I went back in and cleaned myself up and continued on, and I continued on for six years. And in the course of that six years, lots of things happened. I became physically abusive. I became emotionally abusive. I became verbally abusive. I didn't show up where I was supposed to be. I excluded a lot of my family because I was ashamed. I grew up in a wonderful home with wonderful parents and not so at that time wonderful siblings. You know how we are. When we're siblings, we don't like it when we're children. And But I had a great time. We had a cottage on a lake and I spent my summers riding bicycles and swimming and fishing. And then we got a farm and I had horses and snowmobiles and motorbikes, motorcycles and dirt bikes and It was wonderful. We took family vacations. We went to church. We did all those things. My parents didn't abuse alcohol. My parents weren't abusive to each other. They didn't cuss and swear and rant and wave and throw things and hit each other. I don't know where that came from, but it was uh, an everyday occurrence in my home. But I lived in a state of illusion because I thought I was the woman on the black black velvet billboard You know, with the blonde hair and the black velvet dress and very elegant and classy. That's what I thought. That's what I was not. So I got married when I was 21 to a man that we drank together. And he put down his book one day and he said, I think we should get married. And I said, I think you're right. And so we got married. And four months later, we got divorced. And I knew when I married him that I should not be marrying him. But he had a big house, and his family had a lot of money, and he kind of looked like Michael Douglas. Good enough for me. I'll be okay if I have a big house and a husband that looks kind of like Michael Douglas. I'll be okay. I was not okay. Then we got divorced, and I was in a blackout, and I met the man that was become my second husband. And I kept coming in and out of this gray out going, who are you? Why are you sitting at my table in my bar? And I don't know, but I took him home. And I kept him for a while. And I don't know how long, 
but I got sober January 1st, 1984. And on that morning, it had been a couple days, a couple nights of all the same old things, the drinking and 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 the the abuse and the abuse and the abuse and the insanity and the lights being shut off. And everything got shut off in my world. And, um, And I woke up one day and my daughter was two. And she got a baton for Christmas. And on January 1st, she was jumping up and down with her baton going, Mommy, can you do this? And I said, No. No, baby, I can't do that. And I was sitting in my broken, lazy boy recliner, looking out the window, chain-smoking cigarettes and drinking day-old coffee, I'm sure. And and I thought, my God, what am I going to do? And I didn't have a my God at that on that day, at that moment that I said that. It wasn't a prayer. It was words. And I said, my God, what am I going to do? And my God answered. My God rushed in. And my God said, AA. Because in 1982, I had spent a little bit of time here. And I had heard you. I had heard you tell me that it's a disease and it's progressive. And I said, well, I'm not here for me. I'm here for my husband. He's been sentenced to 20 years in prison. And I came so that when he gets out, I can bring him and introduce him in 20 years. And I thought it was great. And so on January 1st, 1984, when I said, my God, what am I going to do? Because I saw my world. I saw my life, what it was, what it had become. It wasn't my plan. All my life, all I ever wanted to do was move to Montana and be a cowboy, to ride horses and herd cattle and mend fences and sleep under that big sky. That's what I wanted. And now I was a drunken Ravenna, broken And I didn't know how I got there, and I didn't know, certainly didn't know how to get out. My grandmother always said, well, you've made your bed, now lie in it. I can change the sheets. I can change the bed. I can change my world. And I can do that because of what you people have given me in these rooms. God answered and he said, A.A., and I saw all of you back in my head, your smiles, your genuineness, your handshakes, your love, your concern, your laughter. And I knew what I, I knew. I knew I was done. That was I was done. At about 9 o'clock that morning, I called my Aunt Marge, who had been sober a couple years at that time, and I called her and I told her I was an alcoholic and I needed help and would she help me? Please, would you be my sponsor? Big, desperate words. Would you help me? Would you be my sponsor? And we talked about it and she said that she would and she said that she would give me all the time in the world that I wanted She would not chase me down. She would not drag me to meetings. She would not force me to work steps. If I wanted what she had, I needed to come and get it. And I said, okay. And I wanted what she had because I had seen it. I had seen her marriage heal. 
I had seen her children heal. And I wanted that. And so on Sunday night, I went to the Lake Brady meeting. And on Monday night, I went to Rootstown on Rootstown Monday. And on Tuesday, I went to Ravenna Tuesday. And on Wednesday, I went to Manaway. And on Thursday, I went to New Hope. And on Friday, I went to Kent Friday. And on Saturday, I went to Randolph. Most of those meetings at that time had food. They all had donuts, but most of them had food. And I dragged my daughter, who was two, I told you that, and she went. And and in AA, I learned in those early days, in those meetings, not only how to not drink, I learned how to sit still. I learned how to be a mom because you took my daughter and you mothered her. You colored with her. You brushed her hair. You loved her. Thank you. She's wonderful. So, and that's what I did. I would go to all those meetings every week. Every night I would go, I would go, I would go, because I didn't know what else to do, because I heard that constitutionally incapable. And I didn't know if I was one of those or not. And somebody said, well, Lynn, you weren't even that bad. And I was terrified because I thought if I'm not that bad, then where else do I go? If I can't stay here, where do I go? And my sponsor said, the only requirement for for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And I had that and I clung to that for a long time. Because for me, when my pain started to subside, I started thinking, maybe you overreacted. Maybe you really aren't that bad. Maybe it's him. If you just didn't, got away from him, maybe you'd be okay. But I talked to my sponsor all the time because I was terrified. She told me, you go to meetings, you get phone numbers. You get every woman's phone number. And she gave me a little tiny phone book. And I got every woman's phone number because she knew how. One thing I knew was that I didn't know how to do this. She knew how to do this. She had been sober forever, two years. (laughs) Think about it. When you're new, two years is forever. And she said very profound things like, if you don't drink, you won't get drunk. I never thought of that. And she gave me all the time in the world that I wanted. And every Saturday I would go to her house. And I would take my daughter because she went everywhere. And we would go and we would walk into Marge's house and Marge would say, I'm so happy to see you coming right at me with those arms open. And she would give me this big hug and I would just cringe inside. I love you so much. I'm so glad you're here. And I never wanted her to let go, and I wanted to run for the hills. And we would sit at her dining room table, and we would talk and talk about what the 24-hour book said that day. And I didn't know what it said that day, because by the time I got done reading it, I couldn't remember. And we would talk about the big book and what I had read in the big book, because I had assignments always. And I couldn't remember that either. And she said, okay, I want you to read out loud one paragraph. 
And she said, put your hands on your throat when you're reading out loud because it gives your words more power. So I did. Everything she told me to do, I did. She knew how to do this. I didn't. And I knew, I believed, that she would not lead me wrong. She, in the beginning, was my higher power. And so one day she said, how is God? I don't know. And she said, my sponsor, Francis, taught me to pray with my hands open. She taught me that if I have my hands open like this, it's a sign to me that I'm more willing to receive the gifts that God has to give me. And I'm more willing to let go of the gifts or the things that he needs to take from me. And we sat there across from each other with our hands like this. Like I had never seen my hands. Like they were brand new. And then she started to pray. I still pray with my hands like this. And God is right there the instant I do. And if I'm sitting in this chair before I started speaking and I had my hands like this, it's because God is right there. She told me to watch my daughter and allow my daughter to introduce me to God. And I said, okay. So I did. And my daughter would talk about God like she normally And I was reading a book one day called Where is God When It Hurts? And she was maybe four. And she said, what are you reading? And I said, a book. She's four. She was, what's the name of it? I said, it's called Where is God When It Hurts? And she was, and rolled her big baby blues and said, Mom. When it hurts, God's in heaven just loving you. Out of the mouths of babes, my daughter taught me about God. You guys taught me about God. I did my fourth step with much guidance and support from my sponsor. Oh, that phone book thing, I had all the women's phone numbers. All of them. I never called anybody. I called her, my sponsor, every day. I never called you because I knew if I did, you would go, who? Or, oh, my God, it's her. And then just very basic, what do you say after you say, hi, this is Lynn? I didn't know, so I didn't call you. And she would ask me, you got phone numbers? Yep. You calling anybody? No. Okay. Well, eventually I got tired of not calling, so I Picked a woman out at a meeting, and I said, I'm going to call her tomorrow night, tomorrow afternoon. And I called her tomorrow afternoon, and she was working. I called when I knew she wouldn't be there because I didn't know what to say after I said, Hi, this is Lynn, and I knew that she would go, Oh, my God, it's her. And in 1984, people did not have answering machines or voicemail or anything like that. And that phone would ring and ring and ring. And I'd hang up and go, well, I called. And eventually I got tired of not calling or not getting an answer, and so I would call when I was pretty certain that she would be there. 
And I said, hi, Jan, this is Lynn. And she goes, I'm so glad you called. How are you? And 45 minutes later, I'm going, I got to go. I got to hang up this phone now. My worst fears have never materialized. Never. My nightmares have ended in these rooms. And I've had to make more dreams because they keep coming true. You taught me how to be a woman. You taught me how to be accountable. You taught me how to be honest and sympathetic and real, much like the Velveteen Rabbit. (laughs) My sponsor moved to Florida, and I had to find another one, and my marriage ended, and I moved to Kent, which seemed like an eternity from Ravenna. And eventually I found a new sponsor, and her name is Connie, and she told me not to do anything up here that's going to embarrass me. And she has a sponsor. And my life is more than I ever imagined. And my character defenses are that I am immature, I'm resistant, I'm defiant, I can still be manipulative, and I love a good temper tantrum. Love to stomp my feet. And so I did my fifth step with Marge, and she said, I've done that. I know people that have done that. I can't help you with that, but I know somebody that can. She said, Lynn, there's nothing new under the sun. If it was new, you wouldn't have words. There would be no words if it was new. Write it down. I love the fourth step because it allows me to breathe. I love you guys so much. God. I got married again, and I moved again, and I moved to Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, and I lived there for 15 years. And I had the time of my life. I had a new home group. Connie was my new sponsor. I was married again. I had two stepdaughters. I was sponsoring a lot of women. I got a good job. I got a good job. I'm still there. They like me. They're okay. I have some problems there. I also have my own business, and I figure the benefit of having my own business is if I find out I'm still working for an idiot, it's, a, it's not about them. It's about me. No lesson there. I, um, you got, you know, it, This isn't about me. This is about you. This is about the change you have affected in my life. This is about your kindness, your generosity, your hospitality, your love, compassion, your honesty, your purity, your unselfishness, and all of that you have given to me. Because I am still selfish and self-centered. 
and self-seeking. You guys teach me by example so much. You have always been there. You have always showed up. If you said you were going to call in those days, in those beginnings, you did. You called. If you said you were going to pick me up, you picked me up. You'd let me sit at your table at a meeting, and I didn't say a word, and you didn't care. You'd still include me in the conversation. I don't know how that works, but you would include me in conversations that I wasn't partaking of. And you just loved me. And you still just love me. And you still teach me by example. And all I wanted when I got here was to not hurt. I wanted the pain to end. And now I can hold my head up. I can carry on conversations. I can look the world in the eye. In Bill's story in the big book, the first seven pages, he says things like torture, both mental and physical. I sought escape. I imagined. I had arrived. I thought I could control the situation. Things got worse. I woke up. And in the middle of page eight, he says, I was to know a new happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. I just didn't want to hurt. I've gotten that statement. Incredibly more wonderful. On page 62, it tells me exactly what I will be like if I do not work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, and my sponsees know this page, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows, and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. Yep. It then tells me on page 84, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. And for this alcoholic, even God. For by this time, sanity will have returned, and we, has, and we will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We act, react sanely and normally and we will find it happened automatically. When I started really praying to God, I started really asking him to make me the woman he had intended me to be, because I do believe I'm an idea of God's. Magical and wonderful things have happened. 
I'm still sober. I can say please and thank you, magical words. People say please and thank you to me. That's impressive. Because they never said, please don't come here again. They said, get out now. I don't have to hurt anymore. I do sometimes. Because sometimes my heart breaks wide open. It broke wide open. Every time one of you leaves, every time one of you dies, every time one of you gets drunk, my heart breaks wide open. Because without you, I wouldn't be here. A few years ago, I broke my leg. And it was really bad. And you guys showed up. Every day, you showed up at the hospital. You showed up at my home. You showed up, you got me in the house and out of the house. You got me to doctor's appointments and physical therapists. And you, you came and you stayed and you stayed and you stayed and you stayed. And one day we were, thought we were going to be having another, another emergency surgery. And my friends Debbie and Sue came to the house and we were sitting on the couch holding hands, the three of us. And my husband was waiting for the call from the doctor. And I said, I feel like I'm waiting to go to death row. This must be how that feels. And Debbie said, if David doesn't want us in that room with the doctor, that's fine. But I'm going to the doctor's office. And I said, okay. So when he came in the room and he said, the doctor called, we need to go now. I said, they don't care if they can't go in the office, if you don't want them to go into the examining room. But they're going to the doctor's. And he looked at me, and he looked at them, and he said, My God, Lenny. My God, Lenny, how could I not let them in? Without them, we could not have gotten through this. My husband's not an alcoholic. He's never had a drink. He's never had a sm- never smoked a cigarette. He's a Republican. I'm a Democrat. (laughs) And I have to tell this story. (laughs) I had gotten my third divorce and I had bought a house in Cuyahoga Falls and I was working in my yard one day and I just really loving the abundance in my life. And I was thanking God for it. And after I got done thanking him, I said, but if you want me to share it with somebody, you're going to have to make it really clear. I'm too old and too cynical to be doing this dating stuff. So one day I was out hiking with my big walking stick painted and feathered. And there was a man on a horse coming towards me and We chatted, and he went his way, and I went my way, and the next thing I knew, he was behind me, and we walked along together and parted ways, and that's him. And his name is David Wright, and 
my friend Debbie explained to me, oh, my God, Lenny, you met Mr. Wright, and he rode up on a horse. How much clearer can it get? (laughs) And we've been married four years, and it seems like yesterday, and it seems like a thousand blessed years. I am so richly blessed because I didn't want to hurt anymore. I can't do enough. I haven't done enough. I won't do to repay what has been so freely given to me. I won't. I try to do what I'm asked. I do what my sponsor tells me to because I'm still afraid of her. And, um, you know, that the women that I sponsor want me to be their sponsor is a huge thing to me. It's something that I do not take lightly. It is a very serious relationship for me. Now, we do have fun, but it is a very serious thing. And I pray about that a lot. I pray for them a lot. I pray for them to become the woman that God intended them to be. And I ask to be an instrument for that. And then I go to the barn and I clean stalls. Because there's something good about that, too. I'm thrilled to be a part of this weekend. I've come here for a lot of years. I never in a million years would have ever guessed I'd be standing up here. And that's what I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody because I remember once when I was a child, my parents saying to me, oh, we don't talk about that, Lynn, because that would be bragging and we don't brag. And I kept thinking, but it, this isn't bragging by telling someone. My sponsor called me and said, is that your name on that sheet? <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's my name on that sheet. I didn't call her and tell her. But I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to be a part of this. I thank God for the people that you are, for the work that you have done on this alcoholic, and the transformation that has been made by your patience, endurance, and love. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.